Welcome back to Studio Secrets A to Z. I'm Anthony J. Resta, and we are going to dive into episode two with the legendary songwriter John Durrill, who is here with us again today. Thank you for coming again. You bet. Glad to be here, AJ. Man, so last time we just had a ball going through like the early stages of your career, um, you know, all the way up through um, the ventures and the. Um, the five Americans and uh, and we ended up finishing up with uh, Misery and Gin, uh, which was your hit with Merle Haggard. That he still they consider that one of his greatest songs ever. And so let's take it from there. I think right we were talking about you were just getting into Hollywood stuff with uh, Clint Eastwood and the movies with um, through uh, Snuff Garrett and stuff like that. Maybe we can take it from there. Yeah, there was uh, you know as I mentioned before, Snuff uh, Garrett was ahead of Garrett Music. Uh, Snuffy, he had a always he always dreamed big time, and uh, he wanted he started a record company with Clint Eastwood, and then we did a film Bronco Billy that I alluded to with the Misery and Jim Merle Haggard song, and then he hooked up uh, uh, with Burt Reynolds, and here here comes another one, you know, and uh, we ended up the, the music and Smokey and the Bandit and Smokey and the Bandit too. And, uh, of course, Paul Williams was involved as an actor in that with Pat McCormick. And there were some crazy times on, on those two movies. But a lot of the songs, you know, uh, I had a Snuff called me one day and said, have you got anything for Roy Rogers? <laughs> I said, well, that's kind of a a song for Roy. Well, I'm back in the saddle again. I, 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 let me look. And I was teasing him, you know. And I said something about we were talking, and I said something, well, you know, nowadays he'd have to be a concrete cowboy, you know, because he's not riding horses anymore. Though. So uh, a friend of Snuff's and mine, Cliff Crawford, he wrote some killer songs, Send Me Down to Tucson for Mel Tillis, and some great songs. Cliff and I got together and wrote Concrete Cowboy. And uh, we had it in, I think, uh, Smokey and the Bandit, one or two, I forget now. And... Uh, the, the sons of the pioneers were there. There was two of them left, and they came in the studio. And here's Roy Rogers, and um, I couldn't believe it, you know, because he was my. I saw him every Saturday, uh, every Saturday when I was a kid, you know, at the Lyric Theater in Oklahoma, Bartlesville, Oklahoma, and I'm working with him, and he sang Concrete Cowboy, you know. It wasn't a big record, uh, in other words, it wasn't a chart buster. But Roy Rogers sang it, you know. It was meant everything to me. And uh, it ended up in, uh, Burt loved it, and it was in a, t a soundtrack for the album on Smokey and the Bandit. And what I learned from that experience was that uh, if, you, if you take anybody or something of value as a person, you know, the song doesn't matter. It, it, it just comes out no matter what it is. And it's like, uh, it's like the, when you when you hear yesterday, it's no matter who sings it, you know it's just got that thing that pulls you in. And Roy had that thing vocally, and it just it sounded it sounded like someone telling a story, like Burl Ives, you sure. know. And so uh, those were great times. You know, we had uh, you know working with Burt Reynolds, and the movie was a huge you know smash. Yeah, we did Cannonballs with him and. All those people, you know, with the Sinatra people, and we did four cannonballs, you know, just crazy, just crazy films, you know, big races, you know, uh, all that stuff that was going on. Snuff had a way of getting uh, people to agree with him. 
That's amazing. And love what was going on. And the screenwriters, producers, and directors all hung out together. Clint Eastwood comes in, and we did uh, all the monkey pictures any which way you can and every which way but loose. Oh, my and, gosh. Uh, I had six songs in uh, those uh uh, the Good Guys and the Bad Guys was the main song. I, that was a great time. Oh, my gosh. I and, have to explore all these. This is, yeah, this is they're, amazing. They're all in the movie. I played a part in it uh, to get my health. <laughs> I said, I need to get some health insurance. And Clint said, well, you could uh, do a part in the movie. We'll get you a SAG. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> so that's what happened. That's incredible. I, I didn't know this. this uh, the yeah. depth of this. This is incredible, really interesting. And so, we did uh, 20 films. We did... Holy... I don't know, just one after another, and, and I'd wake up in the morning and call in and see what we needed, you know? It was like, what are we looking for today to write into the script, or what have you talked about? And uh, I, I gave voice lessons to Clint's girlfriend. Uh, uh, she, uh, boy, this is bad. That's okay. My memory just shuts off sometimes, but he, they were going, and I, I helped her with her singing and helped him a little bit. You know, he sang a song I wrote, uh, Beers to You, with uh, Ray Charles and uh, Clint. And uh, I, I forget, I think it was just, Beers to You, old amigo, I can't. I think it was just Ray Charles and, and uh, Clint. That's incredible. So were you in the same room with Ray Charles, or did he do it in a different... He did it in a different location on another uh, f film, but I, I was with Clint a lot, you know, I'd, on the set when I played the, the band leader at the Palomino, you know. And had had a fun time, you know. Big fight with Bill Smith and all that. That's amazing. Sandra Locke was the name of that girl. I just remember. And... Uh, she loved to sing, and and Clint said, "Well, maybe John could help you uh, work it out." So uh, Phil Everly and I both worked with her, and helped. Phil helped her. You know, he knew what to do. I just danced around. Phil said, "Well, <laughs> here's what you need to do," and showed her some things, and, and she did it. You know, just a, what a what a lifestyle. I mean, like hanging with uh, big directors and Clint Eastwood and Burt Reynolds. You tell one story of, uh, with Burt Reynolds that I just absolutely love, and I, you have to tell it again here when you guys are out drinking one night. Oh, yeah, that that was quite a night. <laughs> we were at Chasen's, and he'd been somewhere working on uh, a movie and uh, taking a break, you know, and all that, and I knew he was there. Pepe, the bartender, and I were friends, and uh, he was... Uh, Chastity's godfather, Cher's daughter. Okay. Daughter, yeah. And uh, anyway, I was at the bar, and he came walking in when we, we started having a few, and one th one good drink leads to another. And uh, anyway, so it was getting late, and uh, I took, Bert said, do you mind, John, driving me home? He said, I I don't know if I'd, I might. I said, yeah, I'll take you home, Bert, no problem. We ended up in, uh, in Brentwood at the house. I don't remember where it was. You know, I still don't. You know, he gave me bad directions twice, and it took us an hour to go three miles, you know. <laughs> so we get there, and the key doesn't work or something. We ended up going through the backside of the house, and we're walking in, and I hear Bert saying, well, wait a minute. You know, I said, well, who are you talking to? He said, nobody's. He said, John. I said, this isn't my house. <laughs> We're on the back porch. <laughs> Going, trying to, he's looking through this door, you know, he opens the door and in the back, and I said, well, the key worked. He said, yeah, but I don't live here. <laughs> I said, well, somebody does, and we better get the hell out of here. <laughs> 
<laughs> so he looked again. And he said, "Wait a minute, I recognize something." And and he, he was married to uh, Lonnie Anderson, and I, she changed the house, the furniture, and everything. He'd been gone for a while, That's and he didn't recognize anything. <laughs> he saw some bookcase or something over against the wall, and we, like I said, we'd had a couple drinks, but Just a couple. that was so funny. He said. This isn't my house, and I'm the feelings that yeah. there's a rush that goes on. Yeah, it's like wait a minute. Oh yeah, I love those these stories. And you, you know, around this time, was this around the time that you you ended up hooking up with Nielsen? Um, yeah, uh, I ran into him. Oh, I'd, I met him at a party, but it was one of those. So this Harry Nielsen. I, yeah, hi, I'm John Durrell, and, and you know, you're floating through people, and, and that yeah. was it. And then. Uh, I saw him at this place uh, one night called VJ's. It was a cocktail lounge. <laughs> cocktail is a given word. Uh, anyway, and we started talking. He was, he had, was doing something not too far away at Channel 5 on Hollywood Boulevard, one of the old things. And Anyway, we got to talking about songs and things, and he real, he'd, he'd heard uh, Western Union, and he got a big kick out of that because... Uh, I don't remember if he'd played it or with his one of his early bands or something. I don't I don't remember if it was him or someone else. Several bands, the guys that I met, had done that song. I just did, Tom Hanks had a band that did it. You know, different people had done that song when they were kids. You know, and I forget that I was older than some of the kids that I thought I was a kid. You know, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so we got to talking and one thing, and we ended up going to this uh, house somewhere in North Hollywood after we'd had a few. And we started writing, and uh, and I slept over there that night. And I guess he did too. But we started had a few the next day. But it was this extended party yeah. with Nielsen. If you knew Nielsen, you know I had some uh, drinking problems. There's no doubt about it. And I'd have a few. But Harry, now he could he could go a week from different houses, and you know people he just had that everyone loved him and loved to be around him and we wrote these songs we had a little cassette player thing that i kept in the car you know and uh you know we were we'd written three or four things that were just scatterbrain songs you know and i loved them because they were with him and uh, you know the you know the end of this story is that uh, the party ended and the cassette got lost and and all that. Oh, but God. it was a four or five days. It was like an extended tour of the bazaar. <laughs> and I'm thinking, That's well, unbelievable. Uh, was this a dream or was it real? And I saw him a couple times after that. But what I loved about it was his genuine uh, search for the unique. He always looked for something that, you know, that's what Mike and I did with Western Union was the thing. What is, what makes it unique? What makes it more than just a song where it becomes audible and plausible to listen to again? That's heavy. Phil used to do that with Don. And they did, that's why they were so unique. Their harmony was past the song. Way it went beyond it. Legendary, and that's what you have to go. I think Phil said that you have to stretch your imaginations to find your reality. That's He's, unbelievable. Yeah, it's such good. I mean, it, it, nowadays it's 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 hard for people because there's you know the same songs stay on the radio for so long, and it, the trends are so trendy. It's like there's not as much room. I feel like I mean there there is. There's a wonderful underground music scene and there's incredible things being done you just, you just have to search for them but i think the philosophy that you're telling people here is really valuable for for young people it's like don't be afraid 
you know, to, to break the mold or think out of the box. Because, I mean, in the long run, those are the things that are going to really, like, last mm-hmm. longer, you know, I, I think. I mean, that's my personal feeling. I'm with you. It, 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 you have to get past the structure that's the posturing, the pandering to what's normal. Because if, you, if, if what you do is one thing, and generally, reach out, I, I think rediscovery. Because you discover yourself in this business, and that's the first part of it. But rediscovery changes things. Well, rediscovery is what people that you, like yeah. you and I, have been doing this for decades. You know, right. we've rediscovered ourselves like how many times you, you, you lose track. But it, it's it's the only way to keep going and the only way to grow and uh, kind of shed your skin and open yeah. your eyes to new things. I think it's wonderful advice. And I, I, I'm, I'd like to give that out. I appreciate you sharing all this wisdom. It's just fantastic. Well, you you know your music reflects that you've always been on a search. You you're not content to just stay in one place. I'm not either. Yeah, I, I can travel in my mind more than I ever get on a plane. Yeah, That's, you know, it's you, if you really want to go somewhere, let the mind take you. Well, you know, today we're going to track a couple of your new things um, next door, and uh, I've got a song that I've been trying to come up with the, the lyrics for him and I run it by you and it's called a, a powdered sugar dream yeah there and you go I, I got a really good like music bed for it and I every time I sit down to write the chorus I just like that's the only words I can get in my head how do you when you do you ever run into situations where you, you like you have a preconceived notion of what a chorus should be say and the, you've got a melody and the, and you know the words aren't in the right place yet they're kind of like a placeholder how do you get out of that mindset and be able to refresh your brain and do something completely new like that's is that hard well i it's not easy it's kind of like when paul did scrambled eggs became yesterday you know the story yeah well that's the same thing with a chorus you know when you have something patterned it's hard to get out of it yeah um i think if you love the melody I wrote with Jim Weatherly, and we had that problem on a song that Eddie Arnold cut. I wrote years ago, How's the Weather Back in Tennessee. It sounded too much to me like every other song he did, and Jim Weatherly said, so what? And I said, well, I don't know. You know, just, Jim just said, well, Midnight Tain to Georgia, people said it sounded like something they'd heard before. And I said, yeah, all the way to the bank, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there were 80 artists in it plus another 40 worldwide. And so that's what you're looking for. I don't know. But we'll check it out yeah. because I've already, you already got my antenna up, Powdered Sugar yeah. Dream. I love that idea because... Romance can be that. Yeah, absolutely. Or, or like the, the, the image of what you want. So, you know, like when you daydream, you go from just being on your couch to being uh, on a powdered sugar cloud, kind of creating things that are that are better than your actual yeah. reality. And that's kind of what it's about. It's about escaping. Right. Uh, okay. Your your everyday thing. You know. Yeah. Well, that's how why songwriting is is my escape. Yeah. Exactly. The reason for that is because you get to channel things that most people never think about. And they say, how do you write a song? I said, you tell me, we'll bottle it and make millions. But I mean, you do have like so many different methods. I've seen your yellow pads and like, yeah. you know, you, you're constantly writing down phrases and things that you stumble right. into. And like you keep like a, what is it like? A song list. Yeah. A title list. Yeah. You 
title lists are should titles should be on pieces of paper. They should be on your computer. They should be yeah. on your phone, on your wall, on you know, you know, especially the bathroom wall. Do it in your own home where people can share your wisdom. <laughs> uh, you know, if you need to write on toilet paper, then they could put it in the proper perspective. The whole thing about it is if you're a writer, you're going to have your notes all over the place. You know, yeah. that's a, a sign of a writer. Uh, uh, Emily Dickinson, she used to, she'd put, she wrote all of her little poems on pieces of paper and crocheted these little packets and stuffed them inside and flapped them over and carried her little poems with her and set them on the desk. I mean, that's unreal. Oh, yeah. And what she did was she specialized and 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 the craft of putting words in a perfect place it's like putting little children to sleep you take your words and you make them glow you make them you put them you put them where they belong you know at night that's the art that's that's like charles bukowski saying they every yeah. line has to have juice if it doesn't yeah. have juice yeah, oh, yeah. you know i mean stick that's... your finger in the socket if you want to find out what electricity <laughs> is you know if you don't want to get in the boat don't learn how to swim if you want to get you know because the boat may not float that's wow. the thing with writing you know and you know it and, yeah and greg knows it yeah, it's, it's, like, it's, uh, it's like it's lightning in a bottle like you just you you, you can't it's so hard to define the magic, and, and, and it's not always obvious at the moment or even in hindsight. It's like it, it just it kind of uh, randomly appears and disappears. It's, it's, it's like, well, yeah. like you're saying, you can't, you can't bottle it. No, you've, that's, but uh, I see that in you all the time, uh, uh, AJ. You know, you're, you're, you're always into some, you know, some method of doing this if it's a foot pedal that does that or if it's something that makes a sound unique or something that carries you into another avenue of thinking you do all these little granules of thought uh, put this stuff together and finally it becomes adhesive and it and it works it's 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 a trial and error thing i think my method has always been a little bit based on experimentation and it for, for yeah. me it keeps me fresh but like what you said about having song titles i, I do the same thing I, i've got notebooks and notes yeah. notes on my phone and there's one particular song when my daughter was about three she looked at me one day and she said papa what is anything anyway yeah and i wrote down what is anything anyway i mean i, I go great, well you know socrates job. has been trying to figure that out like for yeah. centuries you know i didn't know what to say to her i said i really don't know honey i mean so that's the question you know and that wow. thing it went from drawer to drawer you know well, like get we, on we, that one that's no, a good we did one. we we finally did it last year we did it with tremble and uh, it's an incredible song and it just kind of came out you know and she just we just uh, had um kelly just kind of improvise over that line i'll play it for you later it's just yeah, yeah. what is anything anyway i mean these are the little phrases that kind of you, you just keep them like gems they you know and you never know when they're going to you know surface you know? you know you need to kids you know they want to know what things are because they're buried in their phones to to find them sometimes. Yeah. And so am I. Yeah. You know, I've, I'll be looking at something and I'm looking for something, you know. And, I, and sometimes I'm looking for something and don't even need to be looking for something. Don't need to be doing it. I need to be applying that pattern of thinking to what I'm doing to begin with. And that's generally working on a song or an idea that relates to it or recording or, or you know, uh, working on some deal. 
you know, with the ventures, you know, for, for some of the old recordings and uh, Billy Bob Thornton's and wanting to do some venture type stuff or, you know, work trying to get with him and find him wherever he is and, and get together, you know, because I like to be inspired and certain people, you inspire me, Greg inspires me because you think ahead. You're yeah, always it's, thinking. It's, it's, a, it's a long-term thing and one of my faults for sure is like sometimes my brain goes in way too many directions at once, you know, and it's like, it's hard for me to manage all the details, you know, in, a, in the, the way that makes sense, you know, and, and, you know, you try to put things in a, in, a, in the perfect order and a lot of times you fall flat on your face until, until it, it just, it, it's really hard to, it's like a puzzle, um, you know, and that, you know, I have probably 500 fragments of things and every, you know, Three months, six months, one gets done, and every time one gets done, it's like this huge <clears throat> weight off your shoulder. It's like, yeah. you know what I mean. Have songs that you've tried to write over and over again, and they never quite made it. And then when you finally get it done, it's just the, the best feeling, you know. I agree. I, I've I've been writing so many things relative to uh, the arts, Van Gogh and Poe, and uh, setting them into a musical fashion for years and headlong into it and um, uh, American masters and, and music communing with Emily Dickinson the mirror with Poe uh, a man looking at himself and becoming what he what he doesn't see but what he inside he sees it but the mirror doesn't reflect it but he becomes that that's heavy the mirror is what it is and and people are it's, it's not self hypnotizing it's it's a lot of things, and some of the stuff they're doing right now in the, in the labs condone what I'm talking about. Anyway, you take that and you do it musically because sometimes you want to strike out and do something unique like no one's done before. And that's where a lot of people, you know, it's not just a song anymore because that's not the business of the music today. No, it's it's definitely it's broad. It's much much broader. It's, it's you, know, you have to think in the terms of screenplays and, and 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 plays and you know TV shows and you know I mean it can all happen within a song and a song could be, you know I think Greg was telling me that the movie Sharknado was um, somehow <laughs> somehow funded from a, a movie poster, just a poster, things like Sharknado. that. Sharknado, you know I mean so like somebody sold a movie just from a, a movie poster with yeah, a bunch of sharks twirling around. I mean that's just incredible it's to me. More than one of them. Yeah. Oh, there's, there's yeah. what, seven or eight now? Uh, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's so ridiculous, no, it's, it's, it's real. It's, but it's it's out <laughs> yeah. there. You know, my yeah. daughter had a, um, a little story she was working on for a few years, like when she was younger, uh, called The Sky Climbers. And I said to her, what's that about? And she said, oh, it's about these kids. They, they find these magic crystals and they can climb the stairway up into the sky and talk to God. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like that's a screenplay. So we, we actually produced the song. Um, I think I played it for you. Just magnificent, yeah. but it was sitting around again in a, in a drawer, like that phrase, you know, for a couple of years. So these are the things you pursue. I think a great thing to do sometime, and maybe we'll get to it, but or farm it out or whatever, but this question, how do you write a song, is screams to be a cartoon. Wow, why not, right? Yeah, because everybody wants to, how do you write a song? Well, you set a little scrap of paper in a drawer, and it's it's just this little person looks in there and sees a credit card and then sees a scrap of paper, and, 
and and it shoots shoots back in time, and you see him thinking and writing down a, note, a little note to himself of what what he saw, and and it's the beginning of the song, and chapter one, the beginning. It's it's the inspiration. Chapter two is when you walk outside and you forget that piece of paper and slip and fall going back to get it. <laughs> it's, you know, and and that's the song. Yeah, it's life. Wow, that's really really cool. Yeah, but a bizarre animated thing there's yeah, yeah it, it's just that's it's, kind of that's it, what that's I, wonderful it's so broad and i see like all these amazing artists on instagram they only they do these one minute clips but like some of them go viral like tiktok same thing yeah. it, it, uh, some girls like recorded a bird just doing like these four notes and then like she looped it and put a beat to it and then sang it and the, the way she did it, it just it went viral but it was so creative and so obvious but unobvious you know, it's like, yeah. so I love the, the, the way kids uh, today are using the, the technology or abusing it. It's wonderful. It's like, I, I, it's yeah. incredible what some of these kids are coming up with. And it's, it's, it's actually helped me like look for different ways of sound. Like there's this whole um, trip on Instagram is cassette sound. Everybody loves the analog vibe and it's like, it's warbly and it's got dropouts and they, they make tape loops and they crinkle and it's like, and they're fascinated with it because that's imperfection and imperfection is interesting and new in the, this world right. we live in. Wonderful. And every yeah, now wonderful. and then, I mean, I, I, I love that, but we used to have a guy in a white lab coat that would fix that for you. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Dooley. <laughs> no, he doesn't do much of anything. I find it really fascinating, and I think it's a, an exciting era to be doing stuff. And you know, the bird things you brought up is amazing because uh, uh, Phil Everly one time I always allude to Phil because he had more wisdom in one day than most people get in ten years. And he said, uh, somebody said, "Well, how did music start?" It was one of these dinner conversations. And this woman down at the end of the, the table as a New Year's Eve get-together, well, how, how do you think uh, music started? You know, one of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Phil said, hmm. He said, I suppose somebody way back in time was awake one morning and heard the birds singing and said, hey, that's music. <laughs> she said, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and so... <laughs> Oh, oh! So, heard a bird singing, and he said, "Oh, that's music. That's amazing." And and, and he's probably right, but it's a funny way he said it. You know, that's that's it's just incredible. So, and that that's really probably true, though. Sure, I don't know how it started. You know, what do you know? I know. George Burns got a ukulele in her song. I don't know. Maybe it started with George. Oh my goodness. Well, after I'm going to rewind a little bit and get back on track with the uh, coming to the end of the the film era that you did with all those 20 movies with Clint Eastwood and Burt Reynolds and all those people, all those soundtracks and everything. What what did that dovetail into? Um, well, uh, about I think we were doing. Let's see. The Snuffy had a a, a couple projects lined up, and uh, he had a stroke in '83, and it was like uh, my you know, my farming method of writing yep. and everything was snuff was kind of over for a while, and then it uh, he he kind of retired from the music business, and so the freelance stuff. You know, I started writing some other things. I took a break for about three years and traveled around. Did went to France and Paris, the Louvre. And I, you know, did it. Oh, I need to discover something. Yep. You know, I discovered that uh, I couldn't afford to travel like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I discovered. Uh, uh, and so I came home. Yeah. And uh, anyway, I started uh, 
affiliation with different people with Chicago. I wrote for some things for them. I wrote five or six songs for their Christmas albums that they had all the time, you know, different albums, and uh, which uh, the new one out right now. In fact, I was told I had the single on uh, Chicago's uh, new album, uh, Bo- Born for This Moment. Uh, That's awesome. Uh, if This Isn't Love... I don't know if you've heard it, but uh, I love it came the, I love the songs that you've been writing with them. Uh, it's great that you stay in touch with them, and yeah, I keep up with them. A lot of other people, Trini Lopez. I, I revisited Trini. I, I'd worked with him back in the uh, late '60s and '70s. He did six of my songs on uh, uh, one of his albums. You know, we we became fast friends. I'd go to Vegas and hang out. You know, and. Uh, the Sinatra record we didn't talk about I had in '75. Oh, I'd love to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, because I mean, that hanging was, out with Frank, what's that like? Well, it was it was a short hangout there the first time, you know, and uh, but he did. Uh, one day I was there briefly in the office, and Snuff was in a hurry, and I, I met him and all that, and he said uh, he signed us a, a, a picture for him for me, and, and he mentioned one thing. He mentioned to me that uh, really. Uh, touched me and he said hey kid you got a little bit of Cole Porter in you that's what he said about wow. the song and and I wanted to I didn't want, I wanted to make a joke say yeah very little bit you know but I didn't say a word I just said I thanked him and so anyway they cut that at United the only couple on the floor was the title of it that I wrote in 74 and he cut it in 75 and it was a big spread in Billboard about six wow. pages about the song and him doing it and stuff and it was That's it was really a wonderful time and uh, we had no, I forget who did the Nelson Riddle I'm, I'm not sure Nelson Riddle I love that the oh entrance. yeah incredible did. And, but it was you know what a moment Wrecking Crew did that they did the basic stuff Tommy was there wow and, and uh I was there just momentarily and left, and uh, Snuff wanted to kind of really shut down for the vocal thing. He sang with him, and uh, I think they kept the second cut when he sang Yeah, he with always him. cut right with the, the whole orchestra. With the whole thing. It's just amazing, yeah. yeah. The way I wrote for What Jeff. a thrill. I mean, it's just to have that on your resume that you wrote a song for Frank Sinatra. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I, all these things are just, as you stack them up, it just gets more and more crazy. Well, he was, just, uh, that was on... Uh, Reprise. He'd formed that label for Dean and Sammy and himself to have a record label put their stuff out because yeah. all the other ones, you know, they knew they didn't sell big time, and and those in the days they didn't. But Mr. Sinatra wanted him. Hey, you know, I want my label. And I'm going to have it. I love those records. I my my mom used to play them as when I was a candy kid. man. All that stuff. Yeah, there's too many chiefs and not enough Indians. <laughs> around this place I'm stuff like that I'm telling you man <laughs> politically incorrect but really cool if they didn't know what they were doing they sure made it look like it you know wow but, and, and I, they didn't have, the record company that was the last single on Reprise was my song but, wow but uh, but still it's uh, yeah, amazing I was, uh, he was uh, he was ebbing at that time you know he got you know hanging out in Palm Springs and uh, you know uh, singing in cocktail parties and what have you That's and he did some shows you know yeah. and the man had a I had a voice like none other, no one other I that I ever heard. I love Tony Bennett and all that. Yeah. Joe Williams cut one of my songs, uh, Eight to Five I Lose, and If I Fall in Love with You. Oh, I man. love that title. Eight to Five I Lose. If I Fall in Love with You, I'm going to wind up with the blues. If I Fall in Love with You. You know, just amazing. He, uh, it was dynamite. You know, I, I was nominated for a Grammy on that and didn't even know it. I was <laughs> somewhere. Uh, it was in 83, 
and I think I was uh, in England for a while. And somebody told me about it one time, and I, I brushed it off. And I was a year ago. I'm looking at Grammy nominations, and my the song was nominated, and I didn't even know. You can it. still get a certificate for that. You should put that in your uh, piano room. Yeah, you should get nominated. It. it didn't win. I love the Chicago stuff you've been doing, and um, I had to tell a funny story that I that, that will. Um, I wanted to share was that you one night um, okay. invited me to go to a concert with Chicago and, and I had never seen Chicago and I, as a kid I used to play drums along to them and stuff like in my bedroom and it oh, was yeah. like a thrill for me and it was an amazing show I forget the name of the place it was near near where you live uh, the Fred Cavalli Theater yeah a phenomenal show it was I mean the musicianship the everything it just it was like three hours of hits and it just blew my mind but the fun part was I got to go backstage with you and 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 meet Chicago and they signed everything and we got to hang out with them and it was like that was magical but the funniest part was when we first walked in you looked at them and with all seriousness and a deadpan perfect delivery you go you know you guys are getting tight <laughs> <laughs> and they it. just roared you know because yeah. it's just like I mean oh, it was just wonderful you know oh, that's funny I always te- I always tease Bobby <laughs> Lamb and those guys said man you guys are really getting good <laughs> <laughs> it was just a brilliant moment you know i like to share that with people but um from there like let's talk a little bit about like today like all the wonderful things that you're doing now like these yeah i mean you kind of touched on it a little bit we've worked together on a few things like why don't you right. give us a, tell us a little bit about the uh the poe thing oh and the, the poe thing well you and greg both have uh, yeah. kind of helped me with that get get the wheels turning you know and uh the mind going and i, I stay with it i'm always thinking about it uh the the ones the, the best part of it uh, as far as recording was the raven the one you put together and greg was, uh, was a played on and you know i love that what so the, 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 the energy on that thing you know and um it, my vocal even came out pretty good i for love your vocal on that yeah can we, maybe could we share that greg
That's epic. I'll tell you what, if that isn't a hit, I'll kiss your record player. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it was a thrill to work on that with you and Greg. And, and yeah. Tim Pierce played one of the, one of the solos. And it, what, did Go play the other one? Go, Go Nakamura? Go. Yeah, he Go. played the, other, the second solo. That Wonderful. sounds like a hit to me. Yeah, it always, it's a great every time song. I listen to it. I mean, it, I love the the long outro. Could probably be a fade, but we wanted to get that really cool ending in there because it was just too cool. No, that ending was, a, was a, that was a blast, immaculate. I man. mean, that does that sounds like the the thing that could sell your pitch for that project because it's just such a big song. They want it all. Yeah, they, they want the story. They want the script. They want they the want screenplay. And if it to control it, it's like you know, it's uh, the the mirror is a series, and I, I'm redefining my storyline. Where it centralizes with this black uh, head of Interpol in Lyon, France, is what I'm working on now, and uh, Edward Monet. Yeah, and he is the key, and the rock player, you know, Ray Flashbird. Rave is the Poe man. He's the re- reincarnation. And, and of he's, there's, yeah, he's. Uh, but the thing about uh, with the with the, the mirror is this: this whole story has to relate to the centralized detective and the spokes are the different episodes that happen with the different characters. I it. see. And so the hub is going to be Edward Monet and his discovery of this rock player that really truly believes he's Edgar Allan Poe, and has been programmed to be him. That's amazing. Yeah, that's like science the program, fiction. I there's a guy that's actually in the in the story that's uh, uh, Napoleon, and he's short little guy, of course, but he's Napoleon, and you can be who you want to be. That's and so it's cool. through a series of oh, wow, implants and operations that all these people have changed and have become these celebrities in this occult society that they're all the, they are those people. That's fascinating, and it's a historically. And now they're doing that. Uh, with oh, it's the, crazy! With the, with the, the sensory gene, implants and the, and the gene splicing and the neuro, neuro implants. I mean, it's like the whole world is an AI. It's like all really interesting. Well, they're they're, they're doing it. Yes. They're, uh, they're creating armies. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I won't get into that too much more yeah. than that. But yeah, <laughs> armies well, of delight, <laughs> making no, Jello pudding. <laughs> No, this stuff is all fascinating, and I lo- I'm excited for whatever you come up with next. I know you have the Emily Dixon Dickinson thing you're working on. Um, yeah, uh, communing with Emily. That, now, that, people, I've had dreams. I had the dreams with Poe. I've just ne- I've had several. The Raven actually uh, was, you know, that quote. Uh, quote the Raven nevermore. Yeah. That was the melody I heard. In my mind, in the piano, in the hallway, this old room. He was sitting in a corner. I went in my dream, and never said a word to me. But I, you know, I, I never. Ha- I've, I've had the same dream, not the same room. But he's his face or his body is sitting somewhere, and I come up out of bed and, and go sit to the piano. Yeah, and I have this. If if it's a segment of a note, it goes right on my phone, you know, and then immediately record it. And that's how the, 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 the some of the stuff in the mirror, the new stuff, has come about. But the that whole thing with the Raven, that was the central line in the song. And then I composed some of the other stuff. But that's what drove it. That's what ca- gave it the impetus. Hmm. And uh, and then it started happening more and more. Yeah. And with the with the Emily, Emily Dickinson, you, you, we don't know how high we are till we rise. When I read that poem, you know, it took me, and I, I, I looked up, 
some more and got this new I ordered this book about that was re-editing some of her things and thoughts she had with this I can't remember the woman's name but she's the world's leading authority on Emily Dickinson and she said that this means this this means this that means that and so I was putting all those words together and looking at all the triple meanings she had for certain passages or double entente and I thought man this I've got to do something musically with it. Well, that night I had this dream and that melody on the anthem thing, you heard it. Yeah, wonderful. And that, that kept coming over where I went to this third in the bass with this chord. Yeah. And it was coming in my mind with Clear that. Clear as a bell. Through, yeah, through and it dream. was just, I knew exactly what it was. And I, that morning I wrote it basically. I've changed it a little. But that goes with the territory. I'm excited about all this stuff because I, I, I have no doubt that at some point we'll get like an orchestra on it and it's going to be like grand and yeah, i'm thrilled to be show, working with you have a, have a show you know yeah. communing with emily yeah communing with van gogh yeah communing with poe yeah the poe po folks yeah <laughs> well john it's so wonderful to have hey, you and it's thanks. good to hear about your new stuff and uh we'll, we'll get you back another time for sure we just i mean we barely oh, scratch the surface going on yeah more, you know we, we love you and uh thank i can't you, thank man. you enough for doing this okay you my take, pleasure all right, you know, always anything that uh, relates to you relates to me well it means a lot to me you bet all right guys Greg thanks for signing off here Studio Secrets A to Z and this is the end of a second episode with John Durrell and thanks for coming by It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.